We are living in a culture that is more and more adversarial to the kingdom of God. Now, I guess you could say that from the beginning, from the fall of man, that man has kind of been, in a, in a way, going in an opposite direction than the, the ways of God, the things of God. But take a look around. Take a look at our culture today. There is just massive shifts, massive movement happening in our culture. There's an extreme coarsening of the culture. Sexual promiscuity and pornography are major problems and issues in our culture today. Corruption is all around us. Lack of faith and atheism are on the rise. Moral confusion is rising unlike any time certainly since I've been alive, in my days on this earth, you may even find it difficult to live for God in this world that we live in with just the bombardment of just what's happening and what's going on. And the question is, how can we do it? How can we live for God in this culture? How can you live for God in a pagan culture? How can you live for Jesus in the face of a rising tide of temptation and evil that's going on? Well, of course, Jesus is our example in everything, right? The writer of Hebrews commends Jesus as our example when he says, consider the author and finisher of our faith, right? The author and perfecter of the faith. Uh, and so Jesus is that example. But there are other examples. There are many examples of men and women who in the face of uh, extreme temptation, in the face of a pagan culture, live for God. They made that decision in those moments of their lives to live for God. And there are two examples that stick out, I think, above all the rest of them, Jesus, obviously, in his own category, right? Jesus, as an example for our lives, is in a category by himself. But there are two people in the Bible that I think are in a category by themselves, I guess you could say. And they're examples that stick out, I think, above all the rest. Who are they? Joseph and Daniel. Joseph and Daniel. Now, now, you say, well, why would you put them in a category by themselves? Well, here's one reason. Because of all the people that live for God in the Bible, Joseph and Daniel are two that there is literally nothing really negative said about them. There's nothing negative recorded about them. Like if you look at a lot of the lives of, of the people that we look to in the Bible as examples of, of amazing faith, man, there's some, there's some moments in there that are not so great, you know? I mean, even the greats, Abraham and Jacob, certainly, Moses, the Apostle Paul, there's, there's moments that are recorded that are not so great. For whatever reason that the Holy Spirit chose to not have even one moment of negativity that was depicted of Joseph and Daniel. Now, this doesn't mean that they were perfect. 
This just means the Holy Spirit just kind of commends them to us as really great examples, really strong examples of people living for God. And, and what'd they do? They honored the Lord in their lives. The Lord had a very special place in their lives. Joseph and Daniel are examples to us of how to live for God, to do our jobs faithfully, to live an exemplary life, to live our lives in the midst of difficult situations and in the midst of a pagan culture while at the same time honoring God. So I guess it, it can be done. Amen, it can be done. Tonight we're gonna look at just one, not both, not Joseph and Daniel, just Daniel. Daniel is an example for us of how we can live for Jesus in a pagan world. So let's take a look at Daniel chapter one tonight. How can we do this? If you're taking notes tonight, the first point is this, realize that you're in and not of the world. You gotta realize you're in the world, but you're not of the world. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter one, verse, beginning at verse one. It says this. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans." And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the, at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So if you're gonna live for God in a pagan culture, you've gotta realize this, that you're in and not of the world. Jesus, did you know that Jesus prayed for you in the Garden of Gethsemane? On the night that he was arrested, Jesus specifically prayed for you and me. I, find, I have always found that amazing. On the night he was arrested, he was making intercession to the Father on your behalf. Jesus prayed for his disciples and all those who would believe because of their testimony and ministry. Do you believe in Jesus tonight? You believe in Jesus tonight because of the testimony and ministry of the apostles 
because they were the ones that took the gospel out to the world, to Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. So if you're in Jesus tonight, you're a believer because of the ministry of the apostles. So Jesus prayed for you specifically on the night he was arrested. Now I want to highlight a couple of points in that prayer, and I'll throw it up on the screen. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Look at verses 15 and 16. I'll have it on the screen. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In other words, as Christians, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. Jesus elected to not take his people out of the world, but that we would live for him in the world, that we would be in the world living for him. Now here in Daniel chapter one, Nebuchadnezzar has besieged Jerusalem. What's that? He's literally came in and he conquered Jerusalem. The Babylonians, led by the king Nebuchadnezzar, came in and he literally destroyed Jerusalem. He destroyed the, the walls, the, the gates, the, the temple. He, he took it in. And why, why did all this happen? Well, it happened because the people had just not lived for God and they had got to a point where God allowed the enemies to kind of come in and besiege them and bring them into captivity. There is a specific reason why they were brought into captivity because they did not, they did not obey God. They didn't follow God's word. And so he, he just allowed them to be taken into captivity. And so Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and his armies came in and he destroyed Jerusalem. And the text that we just read in Daniel 1 says that he took some of the articles of the temple from the, from the house of God, the temple of God in Jerusalem, and he took those articles out of there and he took them with him to Babylon. And he put them in the house of his God. And this was really, it was, I mean, he could have just destroyed the place, right? He could have just burnt the place to the ground and taken the people, you know, and, and, and but you know what he did? He kind of stuck their nose in it, in a way. He said, I'm gonna, not only am I gonna defeat you and come in here and destroy this place, but I'm gonna take the stuff of your temple and your God, and I'm gonna go and I'm gonna take it back to Babylon and we're gonna stick it in the house of our God. Because we've got a God too in Babylon. <laughs> so they took the articles. Can you imagine? They probably took the, the candlestick and the, and, the, and the table of showbread and the stuff, and they took all this stuff and they just stuffed it in a room somewhere. And it was, it was as if Nebuchadnezzar is just kind of literally, you know, shoving their nose in it, so to speak. And, and so, we, so they were carried away back to Babylon. Now, Babylon was the seat and the foundation of false religion. When you look in the Bible, when you want to look at Babylon, you look and you find that Babylon is literally the seat and the foundation of false religion. 
the, this pagan religion that has gone out throughout all the world has its foundation in Babylon. And that's why when you get to the end of the book of Revelation, what is it that God is coming to do battle with, but none other than mystery Babylon, right? right. So this Babylonian religion is that which has literally corrupted the world and the cultures of the world in every which way. And how did it do that? Well, the mystery religion at Babylon, when the nation, when the languages were confused at Babel, at the Tower of Babel, that mystery religion of Babylon was carried out and distributed throughout the world. And as the languages were concerned, the, the gods and the names of the gods and the different storylines were carried out and just the names were changed into the different languages. So you have this storyline of the Babylonian religion uh, that was really based on its first ruler, Nimrod, who literally became a god to the people, to the Chaldean people, to the Babylonian pe people. And Nimrod was killed and his wife Semiramis, here's how the story goes, was supposedly impregnated from the rays of the sun, supposedly by uh, Nimrod, who is associated, becomes associated with the, the god of the sun. And she's impregnated, and she literally has a son whose name is Tammuz. And so then what you end up having in this false religion is you have this kind of unholy trinity of Nimrod, Samaramis, and Tammuz. Now, as the languages are changed, you go out into the other places around the world and you have this same concept, okay? So it's carried from Babylon to Egypt. And so in Babylon, you have Nimrod, Semiramis, and Tammuz. When you get to Egypt, you have Osiris, Isis, and Horus. Okay, so this is just one example. Okay, so when you get to Egypt, these are the names that uh, kind of are basically of this false religion. And then you get into... Uh, you get into uh, the, Can the, the mystery religion of the Canaanites, and it's very uh, similar. In fact, one of the names is identical. You have Tammuz, you have, um, you have uh, Baal, Asherah, and Tammuz to the, to the Canaanites. So you can look and you can read, you can be reading in Isaiah or somewhere, and you come across the names Asherah and Tammuz and these names, and that's what this is, Okay. So, so really, now this has gone out across all the land. Now, now, people today in America would like to say, okay, well, that's all great. You've talked to us about Babylonian religion, ancient religion and Egyptian ancient religion and Canaanite ancient religion. Well, we're living in America. This is 2019. Trust me when I say this. This is the same stuff that's happening and, and the, the stuff that's being done, the worship in the pagan culture that we live in, because everything's worship, folks, right. okay? The worship that's being done, and you can characterize it how whatever hip-hop way that you want to characterize it in, but this is what's happening, okay? The god of, of Nimrod and Samaramis and Tammuz are the ones being worshipped, and this is what's happening. And that's why you'll see this same, same concepts come up. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, 
was the king of Babylon, and he's literally the representative of, the king would become the representative of the pagan religion. And you see this in the name uh, Nebuchadnezzar. First, before we get that, Babylon, the names of the gods at this point were Marduk and his son Nebu. Okay, so that's what was going on. And if you read anything in the ancient cultures, you will come across these names, Marduk and Nebu. So you have Nebuchadnezzar, which is really a Hebrew transliteration of the Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar, which means Nebu protects the crown. So you have the gods behind the rulers protecting what's happening in the culture and in the kingdom that you happen to be in. And so Nebuchadnezzar took the articles of Yahweh God back into the temple of his God Marduk and his son Nebu. And it was literally as if to say, our God in Babylon is bigger than the Hebrew God, bigger than the God of the Israelites. And so Nebuchadnezzar, we're not going to be doing a study of Daniel, but if we were, we would later find out in the book of Daniel that Nebuchadnezzar finds out and discovers that this is not true, that that there is no other bigger God anywhere than the God of Israel. In fact, he's actually put out into a field where he goes into this he becomes basically a werewolf. He, becomes, he, he goes out of his mind. And later in the chapter, later in the book of Daniel, he literally praises God. He, I, I believe he gets saved. And, and so it's, it's wild what happens in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. But here, Nebuchadnezzar is just really sticking it to uh, Israel and the God of Israel. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, here in this passage that we've read today, he instructs his uh, assistant, Ashpenaz, to take some of the royal family of the Hebrews and to train them to be servants of the king in ruling the kingdom of Babylon. And these were, we were told from the passage, these were men, they were smart men, they were full of wisdom. The text even says good looking. So, if, hey, any, anybody smart here? Any, any smart people here today? Any good-looking people? Any, any good-looking? Any fit? Any, any people got it going on? These are the people that Nebuchadnezzar wanted of, of, the, of, the, of the tribe of Judah. Now, and, and they would have the ability, they would be trained in a, in a program where they would then have the ability to serve the kingdom and Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to learn the language, the literature, the culture of Babylon. And I find that interesting. They needed to be up on the literature and the language. And one of the things is that when you're in, steeped into the culture is that you know, you know the language of the culture and you know the, the, you know the literature is a way to say kind of the media, right, of the culture. You know, the, t- today we might say that he wanted them to learn the, the you know, the, what was going on. You know, perhaps the, the music and the movies and the, and the books and the, and the stuff that's happening in the culture. And, and this is how a culture really is dominated in that sense. 
and led into worship, whether it be worship of the gods or whether it be worship of God, the God of the Bible. Amen? So these guys were taken into a three-year training program that literally was a very strict training program that went down and controlled even the stuff that they ate and drank. And this was all dictated by Nebuchadnezzar. And so here's the principle that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. As Christians, we're in and not of the world. We're here, but we're not of here. And this is the thinking that we need to have if we're going to live for God. If you do not have this thinking, you are going to, it's going to be very, very difficult to live for Jesus in a culture that is literally the other direction, the other way. And, and you can try to be over here and we're doing it, we're doing it. You got to realize we're here, but we're not of here. We're not of this place. We're of a different place. We're passing through. We're going on to the kingdom. We're part of the kingdom of, of heaven. Amen? Amen? We've been called into the kingdom. So we should not, the, the, the goal of the Christian, if we're not of here, we should not submit to being pressed into the ways of this world and the ways of the culture. Okay, so the king wanted uh, these guys that were gonna be trained in this program to be learning the language and learning the media and learning the, the, the literature and all the rest. We're gonna, we're gonna teach you this culture. You're gonna be immersed in this culture. And, and, and that's exactly what the, what, the, what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants us kind of dancing to that drum, doing that. Okay. Now the Apostle Paul put it this way, and I'm going to read this verse. We're actually going to be getting to this verse uh, this coming up Wednesday, so very interesting, in Romans chapter 12, but I'm going to read it. It's verse 2. I'm going to read it in the NLT. Okay. This is what Paul told the church at Rome. He said, and I'll have it on the screen, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Yes. You see, the world, the enemy, the king of this world wants to press you into a way of thinking, a way of doing. He wants to press you into the language and the literature of this culture. But, but we've got to be in and not of the world. Amen. Now, these four Hebrew men were taken into Nebuchadnezzar's training. They were Daniel, Hanahiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so what this guy Aspenaz did was he changed their name. The first thing he did was he changes their names. Now, they had beautiful Hebrew godly names, right? But what the world wants to do is the world wants to change your name and tell you, you are this now. You are this. And that's exactly what uh, Ashpenaz did. Now, the name Daniel means God is my judge. And his name was changed to the Babylonian name Belteshazzar, which means Baal's prince. Belteshazzar, Baal's prince. 
He had a name that means God is my judge. The world wants to tell him, no, you're Baal's prince now. And this is exactly what, what, what happens. People need to realize that we're in a spiritual war to live for God. We're in, we're either, you're either in one kingdom or God's, you're either in the kingdom of the world or the kingdom of, of heaven, the kingdom of God. And, and, and this is what the, what the enemy wants to do. So, so you're either, you know, he, he, he had a beautiful name, Daniel, Daniel. Bell, Baal is again, he's, that's Marduk, that's, you know, yeah. Osiris, all, all this, okay? The name Han, Hananiah means beloved by the Lord. Hananiah's name was changed to Shadrach, which means illuminated by sun god. Wow. You see, this is, this is what the enemy wants to do with you. The name Mishael means who is as God, Mishael's name was changed to Meshach, meaning who is like Venus, the god Venus. And the name Azariah means the Lord is my help. And Azariah was changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nego. Nego is the same as Nebu or Nebu. Okay? So this is what the enemy does, the enemy does this, changes your name, tells you what you are, tells you, and, and, and how does this happen? Maybe it's because you involve yourself in a particular uh, uh, sin or a particular thing, and you become known as that. You know, like, oh, well, he's a drinker, or he's, he's a drunk, or... He's a smoker, or he's a this, or he's, she's a that. And the enemy wants to, to kind of press you into his mold, into his kingdom, into his system, indoctrinate you into his system to where you're ultimately worshiping in the kingdom of darkness and you don't even know it. And he'll try to change your name. Now, these are all lies of the enemy, Amen. Now, one of the things that God does is when God calls someone the other way out of the world, he changes their name. Amen? Yes. He is the one that does this, and he changes people's names when he calls people out of the kingdom of darkness into light. And we see this in the Bible when you come to Abraham, right? Abraham was Abram, and he was actually called out of this land of Shinar, out of the land of the Chaldeans. He was called out of that land. And God said to him, you're no longer Abram, but you're Abraham. You're Abraham. Now, what is this? When God changed someone's name, what he did was he takes his, the essence of his name, the hey in in Yahweh Vavheh, which is y, the YHWH, he takes the hey, he takes the essence, the breath of his name, and he puts it into the middle of your name. And this is exactly what he did with Abraham. You're no longer Abram, but you're Abraham, right? You are Abraham. And so the God of this world wants you named after him, Names, named after the things that he wants to trap you in. 
and, 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 and activity that's gonna dis- entrap you and, and, and bring bondage into your life. But God wants you named after him, amen? You're you're going to be holy. You're going to be righteous. You're going to be living for him. Jesus wants you named after him, a son, a beloved, a beloved son of God. When Jesus was baptized, the voice of the father spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So this is who you are, Christian. If God has called you out of darkness, you are a child of God. And God wants you to see that you're a part of his kingdom, a part of his family. And we've got to see ourselves. We've got to have a mentality that we understand that we're in the world and we're not of the world. And so that should help us to kind of stand up tall, square our shoulders, so to speak. And we're going to live for God, amen, in a fallen world. Now, how do you do that? How did, did Daniel do it? Let's go back to our text. Verse, let's pick it up, verse eight. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs, And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who has appointed you food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days And let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And then let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies. And as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who had ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of the delicacies and the wine that they, that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought into the chief of the eunuchs. He brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then, he, then the king interviewed them. And among them, all, uh, all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. How do you live for God in a pagan culture? You've got to purpose in your heart to live for God. Purpose to live for God in your heart. This is what Daniel did. 
This is what Daniel did. It starts by you purposing in your heart how you're going to live. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to live for God and not the enemy and not for yourself. Because if you don't purpose in your mind that you're going to live for God, it's going to be very hard for you to live for the Lord in this culture. And you, you fall into all kinds of different things. You've got to make up your mind. I see many people that get saved, that they respond to the gospel, but they don't purpose in their heart to live for God. And so it becomes very difficult for them. It becomes very hard. Daniel, even though he was taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself in Babylon. He said, I'm not gonna, I, I, I may be in Babylon, but as far as in his mind, I'm standing on Main Street in downtown Jerusalem. Amen? And so you may be in Melbourne tonight. We may be in Florida. But we've got, a, we've got a purpose in our hearts and in our minds. And as far as we're concerned, we're standing in the New Jerusalem. Amen? We're standing on Main Street in the New Jerusalem. And, and Jesus is the king of our lives. And that's what we've got to determine in our lives. Now, a part of the a training program for serving in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace was eating the king's food and the king's wine. And Daniel said in his heart, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to eat the prescribed menu of, of this kingdom. I'm, I'm living for God. He says, I'm going to hold to Leviticus. <laughs> I'm going to hold to Leviticus 11. I'm going to hold to the things that God has said in his word. I'm going to hold fast to the word of God. I'm going to serve God. But this is something that you make up your mind to do. I, I, I truly believe this um, because as a person who grew up in a, in a Christian home, one of the greatest things that can happen to you is to, is to be blessed by growing up in a Christian home. What, what, better, what better thing to be presented with the gospel from an early age, from the days of your, from you being a baby, hearing the worship of God and the word of God and, and, and all that. It's wonderful. But you still have to come to a point where you, like Daniel, say in your heart, this is what I purpose to do. This is what my life is about. I'm gonna serve the Lord. The God of the Bible is going to be my God and I'm going to serve him. Yes. And now this is something that you, you have to do and you have to determine in your heart. And, and you know, I guess you could, you could do this anywhere. You could have this moment with the Lord anywhere. Um, you could do it in a, just a rousing big revival service somewhere where there's just bands and smoke and lasers and all kinds. Of, absolutely, you could do it there. Or you could do it just quietly before the Lord over here by the river or by the ocean underneath the stars. And you can say to God, I'm going to live for you, God, in my life. No matter what comes, come hell or high water, I'm going to live for you in my life. And that's the decision you have to come to as a person. And that's why there's no grandkids in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 
There's no grandkids, all first-generation kids. Grandkids are wonderful, I understand that. You know, one day maybe I'll have some grandkids, amen? But there's no grandkids in the kingdom. They're all, we're all first generation born of the Father. We're all first generation born of the Father. So you have to determine you're going to live for God. You, 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 you've got to determine in your heart. Before you get to the heat of the moment, before you get out into the world, into the places of where the culture is raging and the temptations are flying and things are happening, you've got to do that. That's something that you have to resolve in your heart beforehand before you get there. Mm-hmm. Now, the best illustration that I've heard on this is from a pastor that I know. He's an associate pastor down in, at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and his name is Pastor Fidel Gomez. Anybody know that name? Fidel Gomez. And this, this is literally the best, this best illustration on this determining beforehand what you're going to do. Fidel says that way back before he was a pastor, he used to lay concrete. Well, I don't know if you lay concrete, but he used to pour concrete. Anybody in here pour concrete? Okay, so you pour, I've seen him do it. You line boards up right? You got boards, stakes in the ground, boards, and you, you pour the concrete in there. And, you, and then you've got these little smoother things and you smooth it over and you hope no dogs run by or smart aleck kids come and put their hands in it or whatever, right? You know? So Fidel says this, and, and, and he says, any concrete worker will tell you, you never pour concrete in the rain. Because if you do, the concrete will be ruined. It will be all pitted and pocked and marked from the rain. As the rain comes down, you got this rain coming down on this concrete. And when it, when it dries in that whole process, it's just going to be marked up, pitted, and, and, and just holes in it. And so what do you have to do with that situation? It, whoever paid for that concrete, say, rip it out. Rip it out and start over and pour some more concrete. He says, no, you've got to pour concrete in the sun. Pour it while the sun is shining, while it's dry out. Pour concrete on a clear day. You lay it when the sun is shining so that it's laid out and it sets perfect. And here's the thing. When the concrete is dried and is set, it can rain all day if it wants to. It's not going to do anything to that concrete. And this is the principle. When you make that decision before the sun, in the light of the sun, that decision is confirmed and is laid like that concrete. Then you get out into the world and the world can bring any storm upon your concrete and it's not gonna have anything happening to it because that decision has been made. You've been confirmed in that sense. You've made that decision to live for the Lord. Now, some Christians are like rainy day concrete pourers, unfortunately. They're waiting and they get out into the moment and now they're going to decide what they're going to do and if they're going to obey the Lord and if they're going to live, if they're going to be a person of integrity and they're going to be a person who makes the right choice and they're going to be a person who says, you know what, ah, this, this, this is really tempting me right now. I could just, 
And, and just having decided beforehand, I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord. And so, pour the concrete, make the decision in the light of the sun, the sun Jesus. And when the storms of, of this world are brought on, you're going to be able to stand. Your concrete is going to be able to endure. Amen? Amen. And Daniel did this. This is exactly what he did. So when he was told about the menu for the training, he was able to respond in the strength of the Lord. You say, well, you know, he, he, he just decides this. He just gets to Babylon and says, yeah, no, 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 I'm not going to eat this. No, no, this is something. This is who he was. He, he, he said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to eat these, these, these delicacies and these things that they're, they're, they're wanting us to have. We're, I'm, I'm going to live for the Lord. So when he went to Ashpenaz, of course, he didn't like this. So Daniel sets up a 10-day checkup with him and says, it's, he was like, he was saying, give us 10 days. Give us 10 days. Put us on like a little, um, you know, time. Give us some time here, you know, a trial, 10-day trial. And see what happens. And you can check up on us and see if you like or don't like what's happening. So this is what he does. And so they agree to this 10-day trial. And after 10 days, Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah looked better than all the other young men in the program. It says they looked healthier and better. They looked healthier and better. Now, see, a lot of people want to say, well, you know, God's my salvation, and I understand Jesus died on the cross for my sins and all that, but I want, I want, I'm, I'm not going to live for God's principles over here in the world, and I need to do what's, what I need to do over here. And let me submit something to you. You never go wrong in the kingdom of God by living by the, by the principles of heaven, by the principles of God. Even in the face of whatever it is that's out there. Well, you got to do this and you got to do this. Well, no, I want to live for the Lord. I want to live for the Lord. And that's what they did. And they looked healthier and better. You need to see that God's way for you for your life is better. God's plan is better. God's plan for your life is always better. You may, I've got, you say, I've got plans. I've got plans. And God says, no, no, well, well that's great. I've got a plan. One of the famous verses that everyone likes to quote is, do you know the plans I have for you? Plans of hope and a future. God's got some plans. And if you'll commit yourself to God and commit yourself to the plans of God, your life is going to be better. God's plan is better. Here's where this comes in practically. Watch what you are, are taking in. Watch what you're doing in the world. Watch what... You have to, when it comes to, especially when it comes to consuming certain types of media, here's the principle in the, in the Bible. Paul said this to the Corinthians. He said, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. You might say, well, I can do this and I can do that. And it doesn't mean that it's beneficial. It doesn't mean that it's helping you. 
You may have liberty to do, liberty to do, liberty to do. And God says, yeah, but man, do you want, do, do you want that better plan? Do you want that better way? And Daniel was committed to that better way. And look, they came out better. They came out looking better. They came out being better. And, uh, and so you've got to watch. And, 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 and no one's perfect in this. Amen? No one, no Christian is perfect. But I will say this, if you're a Christian, you've never walked out of a movie. I, I've, I've walked out of some movies. Yes. You know, where you just can't, I, I just can't sit here and entertain this and look at this. And, um, and choosing not to partake of the, the delicacies of, 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 this, of this worldly kingdom. You say, whoa, well, you know, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. God's plan is better, amen? Make the decision where you're, where, you're, where you're putting yourself in a situation where you're taking in the things that God wants you to take in. Taking in the word of God, taking in, you know, making it a priority to be in the word, making it a priority to be in, in, the, in the fellowship. Um. It's important. It's, it's what we need. It's what we need. It's what you need. And, and you'll be better for it. Spiritually, you'll be better. Now, how many want to be better spiritually? Well, you'll be better spiritually. Now, here's the thing. Everybody will always say, like, if, if you're in a good service, <laughs> if you're in a good service and you say, how many want to be better spiritually? Yeah. Now, how many want to be like Daniel? Well, it says they were better. They looked better than these other guys. And this was the top, the cream of the crop of the nation. Right? So then purpose in your heart, not to be defiled by the world and to get into the word where the residue of the world is rinsed away and our minds are washed away by the washed and rinsed by the water of the word. Amen? Yes. And you know what will happen to you when you do this? God will honor you. I believe God honors you. Let's go back to verse 17. And as for these young men, these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I believe that God supernaturally gave to them yes. what they needed that set them apart for what he wanted to do in their life. Amen? Amen? Yes. I want to say that again. I believe that this is saying that God gave to them supernaturally what they needed that set them apart to not only be the, at the cream of the crop of this class in this program, but to be the people of God in that culture that yeah. God was going to use them powerfully and he gave them supernaturally that. Yes. Why? Because they honored God and they took those steps and they went through the three-year program and God set them apart and God made them look better. And God, look at what God did for Daniel. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. 
Daniel, if you read this book of Daniel, he is used to interpret at Nebuchadnezzar's dreams that are some of the wildest dreams that foretold Gentile history in advance of the four kingdoms that would come, starting with the Babylonian kingdom. Not only that, but he was the one that Gabriel came to and was delivered the, the prophecy of the 77s of the coming of the Messiah to the earth. Not only that, he was the one that was brought in to interpret when Nebuchadnezzar's grandson was throwing a party and mocking God and having a big banquet feast and saying, oh, they're getting drunk in there. And Nebuchadnezzar's grandson says, yeah, go get those articles from the Jewish temple. Yeah, bring those in here. We'll have a fun time just, just hooting and hoot, having it up in here. And then there's a handwriting on the wall that says many, many tekel, tekel. And they all flipped out. And they said, what does it mean? And somebody says, well, there was this guy, Daniel. <laughs> And they went and got Daniel, and it was that night that Cyrus in the kingdom of Persia walked in and took the kingdom of Babylon in one night. So here's the principle. You want what God wants for you. You want the better plan. God is going to give you that which you need that will separate you out and, and take you where he wants to take you. Amen? Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, I, I think that's a powerful, a powerful thing. Now, verse 19 tells us that the four Hebrew men who chose to honor God and live for God no matter what, no matter what the sacrifice, they were the best of the bunch of this whole group. They were so much better than the rest. And I find it interesting when the word of God tells us very specifically things. And you know, you know, it's just, it would be one thing to say they were better. They were better than everyone else. But the word here doesn't leave it there. Verse 20 tells us how much better 10 times, 10 times better. They were 10 times better than everyone else. Amen? Amen? The Apostle Paul puts it this way. In, in, uh, I'm sorry, the Apostle Peter, not Paul. The Apostle Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 5, 6. I'll have it on the screen. Therefore, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Amen? Amen? You've got to believe that God is preparing you and he has a plan for you. And if you're young here tonight, you've got to believe that God is doing things specifically in your life 
that is going to be like what he did with Daniel. As you commit yourself to him, he's going to give you what you need that's going to set you apart. Now, if you've been around for a few decades, you know, God is still working and you don't know exactly where God is going to place you and put you to where God is going to use you in mighty ways and powerful ways. God is going to use you. You don't know tonight who you're going to be sitting next to at a lunch, at a dinner, working with them in your company, going to this or that. You don't know who's going to be moving in next door to you, who's going to be a part of this association or that association, who God is going to bring you in next to. You don't know. I mean, not too many people have heard of Charles Nestor II. Okay? Okay. But God has done some incredible things in my life where he has brought opportunity in my life to be able to minister to people, some people that are never known and some people that, that did some amazing things. Some amazing things. And to sit with them in, in, in times of amazing things happening to them. And, and, and people that have done some incredible things. And you don't know you don't know what God is preparing you for. I believe that God, when we commit ourselves to him, he uses us in a way that he has prepared for us. And it's always going to be better. It's always going to be better. God's plan is better. You'll be better. Amen. And if you're better, then the kingdom is better off for it too. Amen. Amen. Just imagine if we were all 10 times better. Everyone in this room, just imagine if it was 10 times better because we set our decision. We poured that concrete to live for Jesus in a tough time, in a tough way, but living for him.